As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, and welcome to Passion and the Plague, a podcast from The Independent, where we take you back to a lockdown long ago. It's 1348. As the Black Death sweeps across Europe, a group of friends flee the Italian city of Florence to quarantine in the countryside. They tell each other stories to keep themselves entertained, and the idea of Giovanni Boccaccio's Decameron, one of Europe's great literary achievements, is born. In this series, you'll hear ten stories from the book, read by people in self-isolation across the country, as we tackle the 21st century version of the play. Today's episode is Mazzetto. Enjoy. The moon was still in the sky, pale and wan, at dawn on the fifth day. Elisa, let's call her, had been elected queen, and she had all her companions up and about before breakfast, as usual. Then as they came together in the afternoon, in the garden, an odd thing happened. The queen was about to speak, but a great commotion could be heard coming from the kitchen. When she demanded to know what was going on, two of the servants, a young man and young woman, began to speak simultaneously until the young woman stopped her companion. Madam, this fool thinks he knows his wife better than I do. He says she was as tight as a dram on their wedding night, but I know for a fact the hinges of the gate have been well oiled by then. He thinks young women are stupid enough to wait around for Mr. Wright while their fathers and brothers quibble about dowries and suitable matches, as if there was all the time in the world. Well, I say bollocks to that, if you'll pardon my French, madam. What sort of a life would it be if we all waited about for a good shag from our husbands? I swear to God, not a single woman from my district went to her husband a virgin. Not one. And as for the married ones, well, they're no better than they ought to be. I can tell you that for free. But this nitwit, thinks he can tell me a thing or two about women. Everyone fell about laughing at this, as much for the tale she told as the fact that on more than one occasion Elisa had tried to stop her. At last she and her fellow were sent back to the kitchen, once Dionio, the resident expert on virgins, had pronounced the woman right. So, with this dispute resolved, the queen turned to Filostrato for the first story, and because there was no theme, he began with a tale of his own devising. In the countryside, where we're currently living, there was, and still is, a convent, famous for its holiness, 
I won't name it, just in case I damage that reputation for sanctity. It wasn't that long ago that the convent had provided work for a good little man in their beautiful garden. In those days, the nunnery had no more than eight women and an abbess, all young. So one day, unhappy with what he was being paid, the gardener settled up with the nun's steward and went back to his village, Lamparecchio, a good week's travelling on foot. There he was warmly greeted by his fellow villagers, amongst them a strapping young fellow called Mazzetto, who despite being a lowly peasant, was a good-looking lad with a firm, handsome body. In short, he was the hottest youth in the district. The good old man, Nuto by name, had been away for a while, so Mazzetto wanted to know all about his adventures, and when he was told that Nuto had been living in a convent, he began to ask what it was he got up to there. I looked after a lovely big garden of theirs, Nuto replied. Sometimes I'd gather firewood or fetch water and various odd jobs like that. But the nuns were so stingy, I could barely pay for new shoes when they wore out. Not only that, they're all young and impossible to please. One time I'd been working in garden and one of them would tell me to do something else or another I'd grab her from me and tell me I were doing it all wrong. They nagged me so much, sometimes I just down tools and buggered off out the nunnery for a few hours to cool off. Eventually, I'd had enough and left. But, as I was packing my few belongings, the nun's steward asked me if I knew anyone who could take over. I promised I'd try to find someone suitable, but I wouldn't recommend it to my worst enemy. Not unless God's got his back. While he was listening to what Nuto had to say, Mazzetto felt such a pricking to be with these nuns, his whole body was overwhelmed with it. What he'd heard was like music to his ears, but he knew he couldn't tell Nuto what was on his mind. Quite right to leave that place, he replied. How can any man lead a decent life surrounded by such women? You might as well try living with a bunch of devils. Six times out of seven, they don't even know if they're coming or going. Once he'd left the good old man, Mazzetto began to think to himself how he was going to make sure he'd be taken on by the nuns. He had no worries about being able to do the work described by Nuto, but he was a bit concerned that he'd be turned away because he was young and so particularly attractive. The vanity of young men can be their undoing. Or not. Thinking all this over, he eventually came up with a plan. The convent's a long way away, and nobody there will know me. If I pretend I'm dumb or something, they should let me stay. Certain this plan would work, he put on some old rags and hoisted an axe on his shoulder. Telling no one where he was off to, he made his way to the convent, and when he arrived, he slunk into the courtyard, where, luck being on his side, he found the steward who looked after the nun's affairs, and using gestures only the way mute people do, he gave the man to understand that he was begging for food, in return for which he'd cut wood or some such. The agent was happy to feed him, and then showed him a pile of logs that Nuto hadn't chopped before he left. Being as strong as an ox, Mazzetto cut up the whole lot in no time, and then the steward, who was going to the forest anyway, took Mazzetto along with him and got him to fell some more wood. He then led an ass to where Mazzetto was chopping up the logs, 
and made him understand through signs that he should take the wood back to the convent. Well, the youth was so quick and strong, the steward kept him on a few days, getting him to do whatever he needed to be done about the convent. One day, the abbess caught sight of young Mazzetto, and she summoned the steward and asked who he was. A poor deaf mute, madam, he replied. He came here begging one day. I gave him food and put him to work. If he's any good at gardening, I thought we might keep him on. If he wants to stay, that is. I think we'll do well. He's strong and biddable, and won't be able to answer back to any of the sisters. By God, you're right, said the abbess. Find out whether he's any good, and do what you have to so he want to stay. Give him shoes and a hood, butter him up, give him plenty of food, that sort of thing. Well, the steward agreed. Mazzetto, who was not far off, pretending to sweep the courtyard, overheard everything they said. Want some in that garden of yours? He thought gleefully. I'll look after it better than anyone ever did. It's no surprise that Mazzetto proved himself an excellent gardener. So the steward, all through gestures, asked him if he wanted to stay, and the youth made it clear that he was more than willing. So he was given the garden to look after, while the steward went off to see to other convent business, leaving Mazzetto alone among the trees and shrubs. And as the days passed, the nuns began to come out to the garden to tease him, trying to annoy him, which, sadly, is the way too many people are with deaf-mutes, using the filthiest of language in the mistaken belief he couldn't hear them. The abbess, who may have thought he'd lost his tail as well as his tongue, ignored all of this behaviour. Now, on a day in the late afternoon, when Mazzetto was resting after some strenuous and hot work, two of the nuns, the youngest, crept up to where he lay. They'd been walking in the garden, and spying him and thinking he was asleep, they stared down at his handsome face. One turned to the other. Can you keep a secret? You must swear to it, and I'll let you in on an idea I've been mulling over that might bring us both a bit of fun. Sister, the other replied, I won't breathe a word to anyone. The bolder of the two continued. I don't know if you've ever thought about how constrained we are here and how the only men we ever see are the old steward and this mute gardener here. Whereas so many of the women who come to visit us have said that of all the pleasures in the world, nothing compares to that a woman can have when she lies with a man. I've been wondering, as there's no one else to hand, whether I might find out what they've all been talking about with this dumb boy here. I mean, you couldn't find a better man for it. Even if he wanted to brag about it, he couldn't. You can see for yourself what a dimwit this hulking great youth is. What do you think of my idea? Jesus, said the other. What are you saying? Don't you know we've promised our virginity to God? Oh, virginity shaminity, the first one replied. How many promises have we made to him that we don't keep? What does one more matter? There's plenty of girls to promise their virginity to him. But what if we end up, you know, pregnant, said a friend. What will become of us then? Why are you worrying about things that haven't happened yet? 
Let's cross that bridge when we come to it. There are thousands of ways to hide such a thing, as long as we keep stum. The other nun, who was, if truth be told, even more eager to find out what a man was made of, said, Okay, what should we do? It's nearly knowns. I suspect our fellow sisters are all asleep in this weather. Let's check we're alone in the garden, and if there's no one around, we'll wake this fella up and take him to the little shed where he shelters when it rains. One of us will stand watch outside while the other goes inside with him. I mean, he's such a dickhead, he'll do anything. Mazzetto, of course, heard everything they said, and since this was the real reason he'd gone there in the first place, he was a more than willing accomplice. He just needed to wait for them while they hunted about the garden to be sure they were alone. Once they were certain, the one whose idea it had been bent over Mazzetto to wake him up. But he sprang up, and taking him by the hand, she tried to make her intentions known with some ill-thought-out, dirty gestures. Knowing full well what she meant, he responded with a big, idiotic grin and allowed himself to be led to the hut. Mazzetto needed neither coaxing nor coaching to give her what she wanted. Having done, she opened the door for her companion, while Mazzetto carried on being the village idiot. By the time they had to leave, the two nuns had been well ridden by Mazzetto's dickheadedness, and later, when they were busy gossiping about it, they agreed that the woman who'd recommended this pastime was absolutely right. And from then on, they took every opportunity to spend a pleasant hour or so in the mute boy's arms. Inevitably, however, one of the other nuns happened on an occasion to look out of the window of her cell and saw their shenanigans, calling a couple of her companions to look at what was going on. Their initial impulse was to report the whole business to the abbess. But then they thought better of it, and coming to an agreement with the first two younger nuns, they thought they might have a go at playing saddle to Mazzetto themselves. A secret this good couldn't be kept for long, and soon these five young women were joined by the three who were left. In the end, the abbess, who was blissfully ignorant of all these goings-on, happened to be strolling in the garden one very hot day when she came upon Mazzetto stretched out fast asleep under an almond tree. Too much gallivanting around at night had left him exhausted for the day's work, and he lay there, his clothes ruched up by the breeze, and his tackle all exposed. The abbess couldn't take her eyes off what she saw, and was overcome by the same desire that had beckoned her young nuns. So, having woken Mazzetto, she led him to her cell, where she kept him for several days, provoking some rather bitchy comments from the other nuns about his absence from the garden. Before sending him back, however, she did pretty much everything with him which she had once denounced as the work of the devil, and subsequently required more than her fair share of his attention. Eventually, this was all too much for Mazzetto, and he thought that if he continued to pretend to be deaf and dumb, he'd do himself a mischief. And so, one night, when he was lying with the abbess, he suddenly started to speak. I've always believed, madam, that while one cock is enough for ten hens, ten men are hard put to satisfy one woman. And yet I'm here servicing nine of you. 
I'm fucking exhausted. I can't perform anymore. And if I go on, I won't be able to deliver the goods at all, ever again. So you'll either have to send me on my way, or we'll need to come to some sort of arrangement. When she heard him speaking, the woman was herself dumbfounded, believing him to be mute. He speaks, she said. I thought you were dumb. I was, madam, said Mazzetto, but I wasn't born dumb. An illness left me that way, but now, God be praised, I've recovered the power of speech this very night. The abbess had no trouble believing him, but asked him what he'd meant by having to service nine. Mazzetto explained what had been going on, and the abbess understood how every one of the nuns under her care had been sharper than she was. Seeing the way the wind blew, she decided that she couldn't allow Mazzetto to leave and start spreading tales about the convent, so she would have to come to some sort of arrangement with her fellow nuns. The old steward had died recently, and so with Mazzetto's agreement, the women unanimously decided, now that they were all in the loop, that they would have to persuade the people living nearby that, after many years of speechlessness, the youth, through their own pious prayers and the intercession of the saint, after whom the convent was named, had regained the power of speech. It was simply a miracle. And to top it all, they appointed Mazzetto their new steward. They split his various chores between them, so that he could satisfy them all. And although it's said he fathered quite a few nunlets and monklets, everything was arranged so well that no one outside ever knew, until after the abbess died. By then, Mazzetto was getting on and wanted to retire to his village on a good pension. The nuns granted his wishes, and so it was that Mazzetto, who didn't have a care in the world regarding the upbringing of his large brood, returned home with the same old axe on his shoulder, having far from misspent his youth. This episode of Passion and the Plague was narrated by me, Kevin Childs, and the storyteller, Filostrato, was played by Sam Fairbrother. Subscribe to this series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you listen so you'll never miss an episode. If you've enjoyed this story and want to read more from the Decameron, there's a link in the description to buy the book. Thank you for listening.